We adapt to the stress that we are placed under. So the whole goal of exercise is essentially to slightly embarrass the body. To make it say, hey, that was a little harder than it should be sprinting up that hill. I'm going to get a little bit better than this. Or I was a little too out of breath going on that run. I'm going to create some more mitochondria so that next time I can process oxygen better and be prepared for that stressor. Welcome to the Growth Equation Podcast. I'm Steve Magnus, and normally I'm joined by my good friend, Brad Stolberg, but Brad is off this week, so you get a podcast hosted by me. (laughs) And because of that, we're going to get to have a little bit of fun and nerd out on something that I know a lot about and I'm passionate about, and that is exercise. In particular, what I'm going to do is outline the latest science and practice of how to best exercise for your health. Before we get into that, just a reminder, if you want to support the podcast, we stay sponsorship-free so that we can give you an unvarnished look at what actually works and not be, you know, swayed by some supplement company or some special substance. So to support us, you can head on over to patreon.com slash the growth equation and support us on Patreon and get all sorts of cool stuff, including a monthly book club, a quarterly mastermind group, access to our new book, signed copies of our new books when they come out, and a lot of other cool features. It's the behind the scenes part of the growth equation. Also, don't forget to check out our books, My Latest, Do Hard Things, Brad's The Practice of Groundedness. All right, let's get into today's topic, exercise on this Solo Steve podcast adventure. So exercise, I think first off, we have to understand that there's multiple different directions we could take on this. And I'm going to simplify this. We can either look at exercise in terms of performance or in terms of health and longevity. And I think it's important to distinguish those two concepts because, yes, they overlap. Yes, I can train for performance and still get the boosts of of longevity and health and all that. But we're going to attack it from a different angle if I say I want to run the fastest mile that I ever have. Or I want to, you know, set a personal record in the bench press or squat or deadlift. Or I'm training for X, Y, or Z sport. When we're training for something, when we're exercising for something, we're going to take a different approach. Why? Because the demands of the sport or the activity help dictate the kinds of exercise we're doing. And we'll talk a little bit about performance, but I want to I want to kind of give more general guidelines. And the reason be- behind me going this path is because there's a lot of, well, I'll put it quite frank, nonsense out there in the social media world, but even on the podcast world of people who are pretty dang good at you know what they do, but for whatever reason. Whenever we venture into exercise, it it kind of feels like everybody can comment and everybody does comment because everybody has played a sport or exercised at some point. It's almost like this weird, this weird, I don't know, distinguishing factor where not everyone is going to comment on... um, on neuroscience because it can be get really complicated and you know what you don't know because you sit there and hear all these different, you know, structures and and systems and all that and you're like I don't know what any of that means so I'm going to stay out of this. With exercise, we all comment because we all know kind of what jogging or lifting or running or even a little more complicated what the cardiovascular system is or aerobic or some anaerobic We know these terms to some degree. 
And because of that, it fools many of us into thinking that, oh, I got some expertise here. I can talk about it. And I'm not, just to be clear, I'm not saying that people without expertise shouldn't talk about it. We should all talk about everything. But (laughs) to a degree, I think that's why we have so much junk out there that isn't accurate. So what I want to do is is kind of break apart some of the general kind of rules that apply to exercise. First off, the question that that I often get when I talk about exercise is what's the best routines for health? What is going to help me live longer? What's going to be help me become healthier and happier and and all of that? Well, we often have guidelines But I'm here to tell you that those guidelines are based on a little bit of science, but they're more kind of just settling into a guesswork game. So when you hear guidelines, I want you to think, okay, that's a good, that's an okay starting point. But what I really want you to think about is the individual effect for you. Because when we look at exercise, we have, we adapt to the stress that we are placed under. So the whole goal of exercise is essentially to slightly embarrass the body, to make it say, hey, that was a little harder than it should be sprinting up that hill. I'm going to get a little bit better than this. Or I was a little too out of breath going on that run. I'm going to create some more mitochondria so that next time I can process oxygen better and be prepared for that stressor. So all we're trying to do is embarrass that body. So that it adapts. So think of it like this. You apply a stimulus. You embarrass the body a little bit. You adapt and grow. Get stronger, faster, more endurance, whatever you have. So when we talk about, you know, guidelines, it really depends on where you're at. Your background, what you bring to the table, your history, your current fitness, what sorts of stimuli in terms of exercise you've done before because you'll respond a little bit quicker but also hit some plateaus if you keep doing the same stimulus to get an adaptation. So when we talk about the kind of dose-response relationship between exercise and health, although we have rough guidelines, for example, there's studies that show you know, 300 minutes a week Led, uh, you know, led to a 40% drop in, in um, or reduction in Alzheimer's in one study. For mental health, they saw a bump if you exercise for those who exercise anywhere between three and six times a week, between 30 to 60 minutes. All sorts of guidelines say shoot for 150 minutes a week or 75 minutes of moderate to vigorous a week. All of those are, are kind of helpful as a starting point if you've never exercised before. But what I would say is, is quite simply is this. If we're looking at health and longevity, you want to start where you're at and gradually increase the stress or stimulus. That means going a little bit longer, going a little bit harder, doing a little bit more, lifting a little bit more, increasing frequency. There's a number of ways we can increase the stimulus. And what we're trying to do is build that up to a point where you're just adapting, adapting, and growing, and getting stronger, faster, more endurance, you know, better balance, whatever it is your goal is. And the reason that I say that is pretty simple, is when it comes to exercise, this might be slightly controversial, but I don't think it should be. For the vast majority of people listening to this, you should not worry about excessive exercise. Meaning there were some studies a couple years ago where people said, oh, if you exercise too much for too, you know, and too hard, it, it hurts your heart. Most of those have been shown to be pretty bonk. Um, another way we can look at this is longevity data on elite or Olympic level athletes who obviously train kind of excessively. Well, there was a study on U.S. Olympic athletes that showed they lived five years longer than a comparable population. 
Going back years ago, a Scandinavian study showed that endurance athletes lived 5.7 years longer, team sport, four years, and power athlete, 1.6 years. Now, there's some interesting nuances of the delineation of sports types we can talk about. But generally, even those who are training at a very high level with lots of volume and whatever get a lot of the health benefits. Now, is it, can you get too much? Absolutely, on an individual level. You can burn out. You can get overtraining syndrome, all of that, which we can probably talk about at some point. But for this point, we'll just kind of put it over the side. But here's what I'm, I'm going to tell you is that you can burn out on 30 miles a week and you can handle 100 miles a week of running. It all depends on what you're adapted to, used to, in the stress plus rest balance in your life given stuff. Okay, that's why, again, it comes back down to the individual. So when you think of excessive exercise, look, unless you're, you know, a college kid on on a competitive cross country team or uh, training for an Ironman or really optimizing and maximizing your marathon performance and not just trying to finish it, you don't have to worry about the the like downside as much about the health consequences. What you have to worry about a little bit is overtraining or overdoing it, which is often simply when you bite off more than you can chew for what you're capable of right now. It's also where injuries tend to occur is when you look at progression of exercise too too much too soon. So in this, we're going to say be gradual on everything. Okay, great. We've got dose response, excessive exercise, or why why is this important? And I think when we look at health and longevity, it comes down to a couple different things. Is A, we know there's benefits that tie it to cognition. I mentioned the Alzheimer's studies. I mentioned the mental health studies. There's also all sorts of studies that show exercising over time helps with our cognitive capacity in a variety of ways. Okay. The other is the physical benefit of it. So we look at health and longevity, again, all sorts of health effects. We won't go into it. But one that I think is worth mentioning is that both for VO2 max strength and balance as we age, we tend to decline after we get somewhere into our 40s. Varies a little bit. But we tend to start seeing a drop. Well, the steepness of that drop is dependent on both where you are when you start dropping and then what you're doing as you start to decline. So if we exercise more, we can hold that drop. We can hold steady in our 40s for longer. You see this with some elite marathoners, for example, Sarah Hall, Roberta Groner, all sorts of athletes who are still near their peak in their early or even mid 40s now um, because they're committed to training at a high degree. Now, for the rest of us who are elite marathoners, the way I want to think, want you to think about it is if we can slow that decline, then what you're doing is you're, you're, you're essentially buying capacity in the future. So when we think of VO2 max, just think of it as um, it's kind of like your oxygen fuel system, how much capacity you have with just kind of that oxygen aerobic capacity. When we're young, we have a lot of extra capacity when we're doing our normal stuff. If we've done sort of fitness like me, I can go walk up and down the stairs. I can carry boxes up and down the stairs. I could carry a baby around and be okay aerobically. My, my heart rate might go up a little bit. My breathing might go up a little bit, but I have a big capacity between my everyday life and, you know, my max. As we age, what happens is that capacity between the difference between doing normal everyday things like going for a walk with the dog or something a little more strenuous, the difference between those shrinks. And if we live long enough, sometimes it shrinks so much that there's a gap there that makes the simpler everyday life challenges much more difficult. So this is where aerobic exercise comes in as it keeps that gap more so that you can do the things you enjoy and love and 
do slightly more difficult things and have the capacity to do so. Same goes with strength and balance. This is why we look at, you know, in elderly populations, strength declines are so, you know, so important. Balance declines are so important to watch out for because of things like falls and surviving falls and not breaking things when we fall. Um, Strength comes in to account there and it just like the vo2 max it kind of depends on our where we're at at the beginning and that slope of that decline curve okay so we get all that exercise is great helps in a lot of different ways steve what in the world do i do what do i focus on i've heard endurance that exercise zone two i've heard vo2 max hit high intensity interval training you know, everything under the sun, lift a lot of weight, strength training, power training, explosive training. What do we do? Well, I'm going to come back here and say it depends on your goal. That's number one. Are you training for something? If not, your goal is to be just generally healthy and happy. Great. Are there any other side goals? Appearance, you know, weight, um, anything else like that, that that comes into play? Take those into consideration. Now what I'm going to give you is kind of the general one-size-fits-all and and you adjust as you go here. I think, based on the research and data, that the endurance capacity is is the most important. And everything is important, so I don't even know if I should say most important, but I think that's the starting point. In the data generally shows, again, strength is important, especially for falls and all that and functional living as we age. But the data on aerobic capacity and health and longevity is very robust. Going back to that Scandinavian study on elite athletes we talked about earlier, it's why endurance athletes live 5.7 years longer and power athletes live 1.6 years longer than comparable general population. Because there's a lot that goes into the aerobic side. So that's where I'm going to start. Now, when we hear about endurance, here's what I like to say is you might have heard of zone two training, which is essentially this easy training that is, you know, between some specific heart rate and lactate and all that kind of stuff. And if we just accumulate a lot of volume there, we're going to be good. There's truth to that. But there's also a false sense of specificity there, meaning that it's not about when we talk about zone one, zone two, zone three, zone four, zone five of training, those zones are essentially somewhat arbitrary ways for us to categorize training and make a very messy spectrum that goes from sprinting all out to walking to make a spectrum usable. But where we make the mistake is we think that there are hard, concrete lines between the zones that define I get this benefit here and this benefit in the next part. There are not. So when you hear zone two training, I don't want you to obsess over I need to be in zone two. What I want you to think is that I need to accumulate a decent amount of volume that is easy. What does easy mean? You should be able to have a full-on conversation. Just like I'm doing here. If you can't have a full-on conversation, you're going a little bit harder. Is that a negative thing? No. It just means you're drifting in towards kind of a more moderate exercise intensity, which is good. But it has diff- slightly different benefits aerobically. And we'll, we'll kind of get to that. So when I say easy, I want you to have full-on conversations. I want the effort to feel easy. For some of you, that's going to be walking especially at the start. That's totally fine. I think too often we we jump straight to running, especially when we're not prepared for it because we think, oh, I'm exercised. Walking is an exercise. For some people it is. So start where you need to start. Again, stimulus adaptation. If your stimulus is walking, great, go do it. Accumulate the volume first. Once you adapt and adjust to it, then you can increase the intensity a little bit and your body will adjust and pretty soon you'll be able to to talk when you're jogging or walk jogging. And then for others, you're going to be able to talk when you're running pretty dang fast. You know, when I was in my peak shape, I could run six minute pace all day and have full on conversations. That was easy. For others, 
That's racing. It's all relative. So find your kind of relative effort. So when we talk about easy running, what we want to do is start with the intensity, right? Keeping it easy. And I don't just mean easy. I mean or running, I mean exercising. You could walk, you could cycle, you could elliptigo, you could do all sorts of things. You could do a, a circuit of training, whatever, stairs, climb some stairs, whatever you feel like. Just make sure you can talk. And what our goal is, is first frequency and then volume. What do I mean by that? We want to start off with, if you're getting into exercise, again, Any is better than nothing, but kind of a rough minimum effective dose is getting in three days a week. If we look at how long, again, any is better than none, but generally if we look at starting to get a stimulus that causes that adaptation, 20 to 30 minutes during that time. Again, if you only got 10, go for 10. But when we're talking about easy exercise, try to aim for 20 to 30 minutes. Most of the bang for our buck for easy exercise comes when we do between 30 and 60 minutes of exercise. Yes, longer can be good, especially it's why endurance athletes do long rides, long runs, etc. But it provides a slightly different stimulus because when we look at getting longer, what we're doing is depleting some of our slow twitch muscle fibers of energy and utilization and calling others into reserve. So we get a slightly different stimulus for adaptation when we go longer. Most of us don't have to worry about that too much. Just get consistently doing 30 to 60 minutes. Again, if you can only do three days a week, great. If you can do four, great. If you can do five, even better. Again, there's no downside really. Well, I'll take that back. There's no downside for the general public of increasing your volume of work. There is an interference effect if you're worried about getting way stronger or even somewhat way more explosive or faster. But unless you're training for the 100-meter sprint or to win some powerlifting competition or are worried about you know, the size of your bicep and making it excessive, I wouldn't worry about the interference effect. If you're talking about general training and not training for something, most of you aren't doing enough volume to have a significant interference effect where it matters between strength and endurance. So when it comes to health, the more the better. Choose an activity you like. If you like running, go for it. Cycling, go for it. Walking on a treadmill for some unknown reason, more power to you. It's good mental training, but it's also torture. Okay, so we look at that. Lots of easy. What else is in there? Well, when we look at aerobic training, this endurance thing, we've got to, the way I want you to think of it is we have to build this foundation of easy. Why? Because if we try and jump into something harder without the foundation, essentially we're trying to fine tune things without, without anything to stand on. And there's science behind this. So if you look at, For instance, mitochondria, which we all learned, what is that? The energy powerhouse of the cell. Okay, (laughs) mitochondria, you know, help us improve our, our aerobic ability. Easy endurance stuff tends to increase the capacity. So how many there are, we build new ones, mitochondrial biogenesis. We we increase the amount. More intense work can increase the amount. But it tends to make us more efficient, our mitochondria more efficient. Again, we're talking generalities here. So what happens if we say, you know what? I heard, you know, my bro on brofitness.com, whatever, say HIT training will give me everything, high-intensity interval training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What you're doing there is you're you're jumping past your capacity point two degree. You're still going to get some. And you're saying, I'm going to make these more really efficient. Well, if you only have five mitochondria, making them efficient isn't going to help much. If you've got 100, it's going to help much. I'm exaggerating the, the numbers for effect. Okay, so think about it, cap, capacity versus uh, efficiency. 
and function of the mitochondria. So what we had to do is we had to build that easy foundation. Once we get past that, we can start adding some intensity. Now, the way I want you to think of intensity of, of work is there's a whole spectrum. Forget the zones, but as we go along the spectrum, we slightly shift the stimulus. So in terms of talking, what we talked about our talk test, we can move from what I'd call full conversation to kind of a shorter conversation, to kind of a text conversation, to an angry texting conversation. And each phase along as we shift and we go is going to alter our stimulus a little bit. Because what we're getting at inside our body is, is kind of embarrassing our muscles, embarrassing our heart, embarrassing our system of delivery and utilization of oxygen and clearing out CO2 and other byproducts. And as we shift in the intensity spectrum there, we kind of shift the stimulus a little bit. Now, do you know, need to know the ins and outs of all of this and what creates this? No, you don't. If you want to, you know, Check out my first book, Science of Running. It'll give you everything, but you'll be thoroughly confused most part. Even I am reading it. But anyways, so what we've got there, what we've got to do is the simple way to think about it is just gradually climb the intensity ladder and then vary it up as you do. How much intensity? At first, one day a week. It's more than enough. Over time, if you feel good and you enjoy stuff, you can go to two days a week. For general fitness, I wouldn't do intense stuff more than two days a week. Okay, that's just too much. For most, one day a week. What should you do? Vary it. As I said, sometimes do what we'd call a tempo run, meaning go spend 10, 15, 20, 25 minutes at a moderate intensity where I can say a couple sentences. Way back in the day, we tested this. We knew we were kind of in our tempo or lactate threshold zone if we could be able to say the phrase, I feel good, I feel great, I want to communicate. If you start to feel the need to breathe on communicate, you were roughly in the right zone. If you couldn't get to communicate, you're going too hard. And what I mean zone, I mean just kind of the general area of lactate threshold tempo stuff. So... We can do this in a variety of ways. As I said, tempo runs. We could do it into split intervals where you're going, you know, five times three minutes moderate with one minute walk between. You can do it all sorts of ways. Be creative, right? Sometimes just choose your own adventure, right? I'm going to move. I'm going to go moderately hard to the next street corner and then and then walk jog the next block and then go moderately hard on to the next block. Whatever your your marker is, you're just trying to gradually increase the stress and, and increase that. Now as we move up the intensity from kind of moderate to more texting or angry texting conversation, we get to what researchers like to call high intensity interval training. What I'm just going to call interval training because high-intensity interval training is, I hate the word. Um, Interval training is useful. All we're doing there is breaking apart a run or exercise so that we can handle or accumulate more volume. So let me give you an example. If I went down to the track and was at my peak, I could run all out, you know, a four-minute mile, 60-second laps. Well, that's four minutes of work at that pace. Now, if I split those into 400s with a minute rest, instead of just four 400s, I could probably do 10. So I'm accumulating more volume. Yes, I have rest, but I'm able to enhance that stimulus. Now, if I split those into 200s and ran 200s in 30 seconds with, again, maybe a minute rest, maybe a little less, if I wanted to, I could probably do, I don't know, 30 of them. Right, Because we've manipulated things so that we can get a little bit more volume of work based on the distance that we're running or, or whatever have you. So interval training is just simply breaking things down into a manageable piece. Now the key here and where most people get interval training wrong is they see high-intensity interval training or Tabata sprints. Maybe you've heard of that. Um, 
And they think, oh, it's supposed to be hard. And they go really hard the first one, try and go really hard the second one. And then by three, four, five, six, they're succumb to jogging or walking or shuffling or doing the death march. That's not good interval training. What we want to do on interval training is essentially pick the pace or effort that you want to aim for based on the stimulus that you want. Let's say you want to run a mile effort. So you're doing 20 seconds at mile effort or pace. And you want to relatively evenly do that. So you run 20 seconds. Let's say you run, I don't know, we'll we'll keep the math simple. We'll say you're a, a six-minute miler and you want to do 200. So you run 45 seconds for the 200. That's what you roughly want to be in there so you can kind of maximize the time spent at that effort to get the appropriate adaptation. What you don't want to do is run your first one in 35, then 38, then 42, then 47, then 52, then 56. Because in reality, you only got, you know, the first couple are good stimuluses for adaptation. And the last couple, you're just practicing dying. Don't practice dying or falling apart in your interval training. Pick something. Try and relatively evenly hold that kind of pace or intensity or effort based on the goal. And once you can't, either take a little bit more rest so you can handle it or call it a day. So when we look at interval training, what we can do is we can adjust all these different things, the rest period, the speed, the volume, the distance, even the pacing to a degree. And as we adjust those, the stimulus changes. Okay, well, we could go on. Well, I could spend hours talking about interval training. But all I want you to do is think about, for your sake, is it's another type of intense work. We should do intense work about once a week, maybe twice. And a variety of interval training or tempo training or whatever have you is at your you know, at your beck and call. And if you're just worried about general fitness, what I would say is alternate. Sometimes you want to do something a little bit longer and moderate. Other times you want to do something a little bit faster and harder. Okay. And why are we doing that? I call it the kink in the pipe. (laughs) The kink in the pipe thing is because as we adapt and grow, Our kink in the pipe shifts, meaning where that blockage is in terms of our performance or health or whatever have you, or adapting, that shifts as we get better. You know, it might at the beginning be, I have one mitochondria to handle everything. Well, once we've done a lot of easy stuff, we've got a lot of mitochondria, so our our kink in the pipe now becomes how to make them, you know, more efficient in utilizing and processing oxygen and, and energy. We got to shift the workout. So to get rid of that kind of kink in the pipe problem or to address it, for general health, all I would say is vary it up. Sometimes a little longer, sometimes a little shorter. Vary it, vary the speed, interval, rest period, etc. The last thing I'll say on interval training is for 99% of it, you want to stop one rep short, meaning go pretty hard, but don't go to the well. Going to the well is performance. <laughs> You know, every once in a while, I still go to the well. I have a see God day where I try and push things. But again, I've done a lot in that in the past. Don't do that unless you're prepared for it. Okay. Can be good for perspective changing, but for general health, not as much needed. So to summarize, lots of easy, some moderate, occasionally hard, very seldom, especially if you care about performance, see God, but don't do it very often. The last thing I'll say as well on this kind of interval training is there's another phenomenon I call the clean slate phenomenon, which basically means if you're new, anything will work. Why? Anything will embarrass your body. This is why high school kids in track can get away with doing crazy things and still improving. It's also why... (laughs) Unfortunately, what often happens is clean slate phenomenon, you join exercise, you get a lot better, and then you plateau after a while. Why? Because you could adapt to anything. The reason that you plateau often is because you haven't changed the adaptation or, 
quite frankly, you've done sort of some sort of exercise and are convinced this is the key because look how much it improved you and you lost so much weight or got so much faster or better or stronger or what have you. This must be the key. When reality, like you could have done any, you could have done 1910 training and still got better because clean slate phenomenon, you're not used to anything. So the point I bring this up is don't fall in love with a certain exercise program if you just start one because the reality is, you know, it could be fine, it could be bad, who knows, but you're probably going to get better at it because you can adapt to anything. You haven't adapted to anything or you haven't stressed your body in a specific way. All right, so we get it on the aerobic side, the intense side, you know, getting into anaerobic. Let's talk about lifting real quick. So lifting. Oh, man. Brad's going to be mad he's not here. Brad's our, our resident lifting bro. But the reality is Brad's a lifting bro. But I coached strength and conditioning for my college team for, gosh, probably seven out of the nine years. I wrote all the programs, let it in the weight room until they kicked me out. Um, it's also my academic background. You know, my undergrad, graduate degree, all included strength and conditioning. Also served as a adjunct for St. Mary's University. Heading over in the summer, teaching some strength and conditioning class, and more so learning some, from some masters like Dan John and Dan Baker. So although, you know, I am real thin, I have a good capacity for strength and conditioning. Anyways, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop talking about me. Again, we're talking about general fitness, so I'm going to simplify this again for what what matters for you. Maintaining strength as we age is important for falls, for health, for bone density, you know, all of that. It matters. Just like with VO2 max as we age, strength tends to decline, and then we don't have the capacity to do normal everyday things that we like to do, and our quality of life goes down, not just our health. Um, so strength is important. How I want to think about this, and I'm going to simplify so I can separate things into thinking about it in terms of strength and power or explosion. Now, when I talk about strength, I want, again, to use that kind of going back to that mitochondria idea. It's the size or the capacity to do something. So how much could I lift if I had a one rep of bench press, right? That's my strength. Power, explosion, is application of that, that, that force in a relatively short time. So strength and power go hand in hand, but they're not necess- they're not 100% overlapped. I'm going to give you an example. I'll use Brad and I. Since he's not here, I can pick on him. So Brad's much stronger than me. He deadlifts all the time. He squats. He does all sorts of lifting stuff. If we went into the gym and he said, hey, bro, let's deadlift, he would deadlift more than me. His legs are stronger. If we were going down to a track and we ran a 100-meter sprint or even a 40-yard dash, I would beat him. Why? Because of application of power, application of force into the ground in a very short period of time. Okay, so again, that's the extreme kind of view but just so you wrap your head around these kind of two ideas. So when we talk about training for strength or training for health and longevity, again, depending on your goals, but we want to just like we need some endurance, we need some more intense stuff, we need everything in between. The same goes for for our training in terms of strength and power. We need a bit of both, right? We want to keep our capacity. We want to be able to, you know, also... Apply that force. One of the reasons why is the, or the other way I like to think of it is in terms of power is essentially just maintaining or, or developing some fast twitch fibers, which can apply force really quickly. Okay. Why? 
helps with our power, also can help with our balance to a degree. So how do we develop these things? So when we look at strength exercises, again, I'm not, I'm, you're going to hear about reps and sets and what's optimal. And, you know, this kind, if you, when I was an undergrad, this is how we distinguished and defined stuff. We said, you know what, if you want to increase muscle size, do this many reps. And if you want to get the neural adaptations, do this many reps. And if you want to do strength endurance, do this many reps. There's a little bit of truth to that. But what we now know is it's really about the stimulus that is applied. And we can get increases in size doing not that many reps and a whole heck of a lot of reps. Now, it will vary a little bit. But again, unless you're training for something, some sport or performance or what have you, I wouldn't go nuts around this stuff. It's like asking, should I do 10 by 200 or 20 by 200? It depends on the point and goal, but there is no optimal. So if we're just looking at health and longevity, what I'm going to say for strength is we want whole body movements generally that challenge you to a degree. I realize this is really nebulous, but that's because, again, it's like saying, oh, I want you to do these 200s in 30 seconds. Well, someone's going to need to do them in 50 seconds, and someone's going to need to do them in 27 seconds. Same thing applies here. So what we look at is we want some whole body movement. This is why I like Olympic lifts to a degree. It's why I like using things if you want to get out of, you know, the lifts and don't want to lift things. You can look at kettlebells. You can look at medicine balls. You can look at a variety. Vern Gambetta's, you know, lunge circuit is great for this. But we're looking at how do we add a little bit of resistance in terms of weight. You could look at dumbbells. You could look at backpacks filled with stuff. You get creative as you want. How do we add a little bit of weight to stress our body in that specific direction so our body learns how to get a little stronger from micro-tearing our kind of muscles and then saying, oh, let's build them up a little bit more. So look at full body movement, squats, you know, cleans, variety of lunges and complexes, combinations of those, kettlebell swings, you know, if we're looking at if you care about upper body strength, again, it's harder to do maybe complex or big movements, but you're just looking at general lifts here. Why do I like bigger movements? Because like if we look at muscle recruitment, bigger activities generally recruit more muscle mass. And we look at health and training. More muscle mass, more muscle fibers we recruit, the better kind of training effect generally we get. Okay, I'm not going to go too much into the detail. Choose your own adventure. Just it sounds simple, but lift some stuff. I'm going to give you one more example. When I talk to Dan John, renowned strength coach, if you want more information, I'd suggest reading Dan John's books, Easy Strength, one of them. But, you know, when we were talking, he said, you know, if I was coaching cross country, especially women who might not feel comfortable in the weight room, what I would do is I would bring the weight room to the track where they're comfortable, get some kettlebells, get some med balls, get some things to toss or throw, get some things to lift up and down, whatever have you, and just do some sort of circuit at, you know, next to the track. And that's what I'm encouraging you for health to do. Find your own place. It doesn't have to be complicated. The one caveat I'll give here is remember when you're trying to, you know, what a, remember what you're trying to train when we look at generally strength is it's not an endurance activity. So your goal isn't necessarily lots of accumulating fatigue. Your goal is to do something where you again, get pretty strong or can exert, I should exert some force, challenge yourself, rest, and then do it again. <laughs> okay. The other part of it is power explosion. Again, to keep it simple here, what we want here is things that recruit fast twitch muscle fibers. So again, we can use some of the same things. 
medicine ball throws, tosses, where we're really trying to explode, shot put type throws, where we're using lower body and a little bit of our upper body to kind of explode in force. We can do this in terms of lifting, moving towards more explosive lifts, like an explosive squat jump, whatever you want to call it. Why? Producing force in a small amount of time. Again, there's dozens upon dozens of ways we could do this. We could also do what I like to do, which is go to a hill, warm up really good, and then sprint up it. Only sprint up it for about six, seven, eight seconds, maybe 10 seconds max. Take full recovery, couple minutes, and then do it again. Do those sprints between four and eight times, depending on your experience. Up a hill reduces the risk of pulling something and reduces the force on the body. Puts you in a much better position. What are you doing? You're getting a little strength because you're sprinting up a hill, but you're mostly getting a lot of power and explosion. Recruiting those fast twitch fibers, keeping those strong and powerful and primed. So even if you don't have a weight room or things to lift, you can look at how do I create some explosion to get prime those fibers. All right, we got it. How often should I do this? If we're looking at general health and fitness, one to two times a week. Should you do more strength? Should you do more power explosion? Depends on what your goal is. Vary it up. Generally, again, rule of thumb, build some strength and capacity before utilizing that to train power and explosion. But maybe you're like me and you just kind of hate strength training and you did enough of it back when you were an athlete, we are just like, oh, I'll do that pretty rarely, but I'll sprint up a hill, you know, every week. That's fine as well. You know, at some point I'll probably add in more strength training as I age. But choose your own adventure, combine it as, as you see, see fit based on your goals and what you're trying to do. Okay. The last thing I'll say here is that well, two other things. When we talk about uh, strength training, if we want to work on the neural side, you know, efficiency of recruiting things or power and speed, again, we want to be fresh. We don't want to accumulate fatigue. Lots of fatigue. The point isn't to go bash our head in the wall when we're doing sprints. That's counterproductive, actually. We recruit less fast twitch fibers because they're all fatigued and tired as hell. <laughs> That's why we take long recovery between hill spreads, okay? The other thing is you can combine these workouts. So you might think, oh my gosh, I've got to do one to two kind of more moderate high-intensity work, lots of easy, and then one to two strength or power exercises. How am I going to fit this in? You combine the things. It's not per, It's not like you have to do one single thing on a day. So here's an example for myself. I'll jog three miles really easy to the hill, sprint up it for me about eight times, then jog two to three miles back home. What have I done? I've got endurance and I've got speed and power all in the same workout, right? You can do the same stuff with others. Warm up for your strength training. Again, not so much that you're super fatigued, but go on a bike ride or cycle for 15, 20 minutes, then lift or do some strength circuit in the middle of your run, right? We can, this is why I love hill circuits and stuff like that. You can combine some, uh, again, you can combine these things uh, for your high intensity work, go on a longer warm up or preferably a longer cool down afterwards. Why? Well, if you have a longer cool down jog after you did some, let's say, 200s on the track, well, your 200s fatigued you. Now you're going really slow and easy, but you're getting a little aerobic training stimulus because, you know, your 200s fatigued you. You're in a fatigued state. So you're getting a little bit more embarrassing of the body aerobically. 
And then the final thing uh, I'll say, and I know I've said this a lot, is it's all relative. So here's the example I'll give you when it comes to exercise. People say, oh, this is optimal. This is best. Like, that's too much. It's all relative, man. So back when I was in high school, I think I spent my entire senior season above 80 miles a week until the state championship. And that was the first week all track season where I was below 80. College, I ran 100, 110, up to 120 miles a week. My taper in college, I'd go from 100 miles a week to maybe 70 miles a week. And I'd feel great. Why? It's all relative. (laughs) When I stopped competing, I was running 60 miles a week and felt like I was doing nothing. And this isn't to brag, it's just all relative. Because if you're used to training twice a day practically every day, then when all you have to do is go run around for an hour every day, it doesn't feel like you're doing much and your body doesn't feel like it's doing much. Nowadays, that's different, right? If I run 40, 50 miles a week, it's not a ton, but it's still my body's like, okay, you're, you're training a little bit. It's not the off or recovery or like, hey, it doesn't feel like I'm doing anything like it was a decade ago. So it's all relative. Why? Because you're providing a stimulus to adapt to your body. It depends on what your body is used to, accustomed to, and adapted to. So when we talk about fitness, whether two days, three days, four days, five days, six days, seven days a week is good for or best for you, depends where you're at. Whether one day or two days a week of moderate or intensity is good for you, depends what you're at. Whether you should go longer than 60 minutes on an easy run depends where you're at. The way I want you to think about this is very simple. Stress and adaptation. Gradually embarrass your body in the direction that you want to adapt. If you want to get a little stronger, do a little bit more on that side. If you want to get a little bit sprintier or faster, do a little bit more on the explosive side. The way I like to think of it is we are either either building or maintaining something. So when we think about training, even for general health and fitness, are you in maintenance mode where you're just saying, I'm going to cover my bases? Or are you kind of saying, hey, I need to build this capacity over here so it's not a kink in the pipe? Once you build that capacity, you're not neglecting everything else. You're just maintaining everything else. So there you go bunch of ideas. Hopefully you enjoyed this Steve solo production. Brad will be back with us. If you have any feedback, if you enjoyed this, if you want me to do this again and go more in depth on this resilience, toughness, something else I know something about exercise and performance, we can nerd out. Doesn't matter. Um, I'm just here to kind of give you the truth on what works and how it works and not give you the special magic workout that cures everything and is optimum because it doesn't exist all right everybody take care